What is up, everybody? Happy Monday. Welcome to the Headhunter Hideout. I am super excited today to be joined by Laura Mazzullo, who if you don't know Laura, I don't know where you've been in the recruitment world. She has an amazing community on LinkedIn that last time I checked was right above 90,000 followers, which is incredible. Um, and then 7,000 followers on Twitter as well. So it's a 100,000 people community. Uh, so super excited to have Laura on the show. Um, just before we get started to anyone listening out there, um, on the podcast, uh, just a reminder, we are sponsored this season by Hoxo Media, and we are the largest inbound recruitment marketing company globally. Uh, so Laura, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. How is everything in your world? Thank you. It's so nice to be here. I'm glad that we recently met um, via social media, which is so cool. Really and I know is. that you live in the chilly state of Wisconsin, which is where I went to college. And I'm here in New York, and it's also dark and cold. So it's classic February. It's a perfect time just to be nooked up and talking to each other. Nothing yeah. to do outside. Well, let's let's break this down, like how we met. So it was actually, I think, through Clubhouse. Well, it was like we had we were in like the same Clubhouse room, and then uh, and then I think I reached out to you. But I'd I'd love to uh, before we before we get started. Why don't we just go in there? To, I'd love to just hear your thoughts on, on Clubhouse right away because I know you're big yeah. on uh, on social media. How you been using that? It's really fun. I really, really recommend it. And I think there's a lot of misconception that it's only for extroverts, which I, you know, I happen to be an extrovert, so I can explain it from the way I'm experiencing it. But it's even for introverts who just want to listen and don't want to participate or want to participate in smaller rooms, there's so much variety. It's so extraordinary. Um, so yeah. for those who don't know, I mean, it's basically the first audio social media app that any of us have really had exposure to like this, where there is no distraction, there's no messaging, there's no DM, there's no chat box, it's just voices. And it's like joining phone calls with new people. So for me, I mean, it's totally exciting. It's like, to you know, I love, I love that. I love walking in a room when I don't know people. So that's what it feels like, like, hey, who's here? And it's just extraordinary global. I, I, every room you walk into... You could have recruiters or HR pros from any part of the globe, and we're all learning from each other. I found it so respectful so far also, which yeah. I was telling my mom about this, and she was like, this seems like it could get shady really quick. Where people <laughs> are mean to each other. And I was like, I hear you. So far, so good. I don't know why, but it's like no one's interrupting each other. Yeah, I, I suppose it could continue to evolve or devolve, but right now it feels like a psychologically safe space to get to know people. Yeah, I, I'm curious too because I know you got uh, you know a pretty decent community on Twitter as well. Have you seen? Have you had access to like that Spaces function as well, or have you seen that at all? I know. Yeah, I'm starting to see it in my feed. So for those who don't know, I think Spaces is kind of like the it's going to be a similar concept to Clubhouse with an audio. Yeah. Um. So only last week, Joel, I started seeing them come up on my feed. Like some people who have access to hosting the rooms, and I guess they're just sending it out to very few users. So I don't have access to hosting a room yet. Um, and I actually haven't really joined one. I did by accident once, but I didn't really know what it was about. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to go because it feels a little bit like in contrast with their style. So. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting. I saw, uh, I think Gary Vee posted on it the other, the other day and he does like the underrated overrated type thing. And, uh, 
he, I mean, one of the things he said was that he saw like Clubhouse as more of like a feature of other social medias than like a community of itself. Uh, I think that's what he said anyway. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I think Twitter, yeah. Twitter's such, Twitter's just got such a big user base. And I feel like the allure of Twitter is like short text. And so to go to like long style audio type conversations could be cool. I, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. I'm kind of like a purist. Like if I go to a store, I want to know what I can buy. Like I like a restaurant with a smaller menu that yes. does things really well. So it's sort of like, I think I like that Clubhouse is just audio. There's no other distractions. That's what yep. it's for. So same with Twitter. I was like, oh, weird. I'm not going to want to do this here. Um, it might totally take off. But. Nope. I, I hear you. Well, cool. Well, yeah. I, I usually start the show up uh, with just really trying to dig deep into kind of how you got started in recruitment and then just hearing a little bit about your journey, about how you got to where you are. And then uh, anyone who's in the audience, uh, it, you know, this is a great opportunity to just to ask any questions you have in terms of recruitment, in terms of marketing, entrepreneurship. Laura is a really great resources. So feel free to ask questions and we can get to those too in the comments. But Laura, why don't you just share a little bit about your journey in recruitment, like how you got started? I'd, lo I'd love to hear about that. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Now I make sure I have my comments on too, so we don't miss anything. Um, I see a guy named Matt saying hello. So hello, Matt. Um, there we go. We go, Matt. Look at that. Hello, everyone. Oh, look at that fun thing you can do, Joel. Very cool. Yeah. If I get a beat, I can like go to the. All right. Everyone on the podcast right now who's listening afterward is like, what are they talking about? So. Oh anyway. yeah, there's some fun <laughs> visual stuff going on here for anybody walking and listening. So I started recruiting basically when I graduated from college, which is 2003. So almost 18 years ago, it feels like yesterday. Um, I graduated from Madison, Wisconsin. I moved to Chicago, which is where all my friends were heading. It was like the fun place to be. I needed a job. I went to a temp agency and really loved all the women there. And it was just like a fun environment. They were like, what kind of jobs do you want? Long story short, they needed some help in the office. I started temping at the temp agency cool. and, learned, and learned recruiting from, from there. And then I moved back to the East Coast and started at Kelly Services, which is a huge kind of staffing business. It's like very high volume. Then 2007, I joined another global recruiting firm or global recruiting firm in New York that was building out an HR hiring practice. That was the height of the market before the recession. So like everyone was hiring for HR. It was a really exciting time to learn about HR. Then we went through the recession. So fast forward the next five years. By 2012, I was kind of running their HR practice by myself, just based on all the layoffs that I kind of stuck through um, and realized I was so loyal to the HR community and knew this was the space I wanted to continue to partner with. And frankly, it was never going to be the most lucrative side of recruiting, right? Tech and finance there at the time um, were kind of the big money makers and HR was not seen as one to a global publicly traded company. You don't necessarily want a small boutique business. You want a booming business. So I took that as an opportunity to resign and start my own firm. I realized that I, I didn't really want to be in that kind of um, solely money motivated type of recruiting model. I, I really also wanted there to be a more consultative service for the HR community. And they're often underserved when it comes to recruiting. So as you know, like recruiting corporate recruiters or recruiting HR leaders, there's not a lot of, not a lot of places for them to go when they need support. So 
I started Eat Side Staffing eight years ago. Um, March will be my eight year anniversary, so almost eight. Well, happy anniversary. Well, almost Thank you. anniversary. Yeah. That's awesome. Super cool. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 curious too. So one of the things you mentioned was, you know, the training of of eight like in in house recruiters. So I, I know you've got the YouTube channel, which I highly advise people go follow right now. Um, and it's uh, I, I'm I'm curious like in terms with, with the YouTube channel. So learn with Laura HR for everybody who's out there and we'll put that uh, on the post as well. Uh, what, what was kind of the, the vision for that? Like how, you know, how, how did you get started with that? I know you and I were talking before the show around, um, you know, what changed in the pandemic for us and like how did our learning evolve as recruiters and recruiting experts and recruiting professionals and, you know, hiring stopped for a while last year. I mean, there's no, I don't want to sugarcoat that, like especially for HR. I mean, after March, it was like freeze. So you kind of are in a position of how am I going to innovate? I mean, I could just curl under the covers and wait till this is over, or I can be really creative and figure out what the community needs. So I listened to what HR pros were asking me for, and there was really a lot of need for guidance. So there are kind of three buckets of, of people that tend to want leadership from me, and it's internal recruiters who are really undertrained, And so that's something I'm very concerned about, which is that there are a lot of corporate recruiters who are put in these positions where they have 30 open requisitions. They don't have strong leadership. They've never really learned candidate experience, candidate care, behavioral interviewing, bias training. And yet there's massively high expectations on them to perform extraordinarily well. And so I wanted to make some video content that would speak to them as well about ways they can improve. And then, of course, there were the HR job seekers that were struggling a lot with resume, with interviewing, um, which I see we have a comment on we can get to. And then, and then of course, fellow agency recruiters, but also HR leaders themselves who might be hiring external search firms or looking to grow their team. And so I have kind of different audiences that need different things from me. And I thought a YouTube channel might be a great way for me to share small, um, yeah short, I should say, really under five minute videos that could just speak to something they want to improve upon. And yeah. it's been really rewarding. I mean, video content is so fun for me. And I like learning through video. I'm very visual as well. So it seemed like just a fun forum to play with. And I'm just grateful that the responses have been good. And it's something I want to keep doing. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, we were talking earlier as well, like you don't have formal training well you have you know you've got a background with communications but like nothing like you know specifically marketing related so i'm i'm, I'm curious because obviously i'm trying to help recruitment agencies with a lot of their content and so yeah. i've known i just noticed a huge need in our industry for just training on marketing and copywriting or like video content and like how does content play so i'd love to just hear how you got started specifically on LinkedIn since we're on the platform, but then also like how Twitter involved or maybe Twitter was first. Like how did you first get started with, yeah. Hey, I'm going to start putting out content regularly and build a community through it. I'd love to hear that. Okay. I love that. Yeah. First I would acknowledge that, you know, recruiting is a skill and like all skills that should be honed and fine tuned. So, you know, I think of sports analogies all the time. If you're like the top athlete in your game, you still get training, you still get support. It's not a shameful thing. So I think we have to remove this notion that some recruiters feel around, well, I don't want to have coaching or training or learn from anyone. I know everything or, or I would feel shameful if I had to admit about something I don't know. I, we have to like leave that in the past. I recognize that might have been how we were trained, but 
we really have to all be in a position of such humility and curiosity around, okay, I want to learn, I want to improve, and how can I soak up as much knowledge as possible? Yeah. And so that leads me to social media. I mean, to me, these platforms, particularly LinkedIn, it's a learning platform. Like we're here to learn from each other. And when you look at it with that lens, you're, I don't know, you become a sponge. You just want to soak up information, share information. So for me, um, again, maybe it's because, look, I know recruiting is a business and we have to look at it commercially, but if we can take that off of the table for a moment and look at it as humanity, like what do I want to learn? How do I want to hone my skill? Then you want to connect with people on LinkedIn and you want to sort of build those relationships. So I think it started for me just with wanting connections. Like I wanted to connect with so many people. So that was probably back in 2006, seven, eight, I guess, around when I was starting to be on it. I don't remember exactly when it launched, but I think I was quickly on it after that. And, you know, just sending out invitations, always doing a personalized note, building a community that really spoke to me. I still am really thoughtful about who I send invitations to. Um, sometimes I'm surprised by how few people want to connect because I, to me, it's not a sales pitch. I genuinely want to add you to my community to learn from each other. Yeah. So, um, probably all the auto, it's, it's all the auto, you know, like the bots out there now, I think people are hypersensitive to spam. And so I think, you know, for, for me, one of the things I found really helpful is trying to connect through content first, building that familiarity out and then. Um, somebody mentioned this the other day, like providing that context of like, well, why do we want to connect? Why, why do I want to connect? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's probably more recently. Uh, I think, you know, even a couple of years ago, if you sent a personal note, like you would just stick out from all the generic connection. Um, yeah. so I love that. I love that. There's an apprehension in my community. So the HR recruiting community around assuming instead of assuming positive intent we sometimes assume someone's just going to be selling us something and so what i always remind people is like you can always remove the connection you know i'd rather connect and then if i have to remove them because they're turning into like a real aggressor and i'm uncomfortable with it i can just click remove connection and there should be no shame in that but i'd rather go into it with an open heart of maybe i'll have something to learn from this person and something to teach this person so in terms of content you know, I, I am I'm old school in certain respects. Like I don't automate stuff. I don't have a schedule. I don't, I'm like the wrong person to ask if someone's looking for like a great system. <laughs> um, I respect those systems and I yeah. think it's awesome for those who need them, like them, want them, et cetera. There's so many great resources out there for that. Um, but I still, I just, the way that I operate, my personality type, my work style, I just post off of, of feeling of inspiration of, of something that's moving me to post. So it happens to usually be every day. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't uh, do you use like video? Like are you using, I mean, obviously you are because you're doing YouTube, but are, are you, are you finding like a nice mix with like video text articles and like, how have you seen that shift, you know, since the introduction yeah. of video? I love that question. So I used to do blogs once a month on LinkedIn. I only had, I never had a separate blog site, just LinkedIn blog, which was really fun and, and used to be such a great way to get conversations going. I could post a blog and there'd be like a thousand views and all these conversations. They've changed the algorithms, as you all know, and I, it's not, it just doesn't happen now. I could post an extraordinary blog and there's like 35 views for the first two months now. It's like, 
Um, so I still do it periodically, but I think I only posted like one blog all of last year, one blog so far this year. I'm not overdoing it anymore. Um, I do like their their little what are they called? Like the face on the top of our iPhone where you know the bubbles. It's like oh, the stories. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. And yeah. you can do <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, you can do 20 second videos there. Yeah. Right. And so that's been fun for me because it's something really concise. If I just want to send out a quick thought, I've been I've been doing those. I should probably do them more consistently. I've done a few of them and really enjoy it and get a lot of nice responses from it. Um, but I don't usually do a lot of video in the main feed. I don't know why. I I don't know. I guess to me, it, again, it's like that feels like YouTube or Instagram's kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. It's part I, of playing with it, right? You experiment a little bit with it. Exactly. And, and I think to your point, too, I really like the fact that you don't schedule things necessarily in 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 that really reg regimented format i think for a lot of people getting started out it's helpful to schedule i know i used to schedule stuff uh, but quickly i think you get two camps of people you get the people who love creating content they just do it for fun and then you get the people that need that schedule yeah. um so i am hearing a little bit of an echo there too i don't know if that's on me i didn't change anything on my side so hopefully okay. it's not i'll try to stay in one spot here well good but well why don't we uh i know we got a couple people out there so we got matt we got tom as well he said joel's got the tricks you know it and then uh matt did ask a question about what to look for in a sound resume so i'd love to i'd love to get to that as well and maybe maybe we could just touch upon that because you did mention with like resume help like what a I guess from an HR perspective, which kind of surprises me because I think that HR people would be great with resumes. How do you help people out and what is what are some of the common things that you see with resumes? Uh, you know, and, and how have you seen that change with the advancement in tech within the HR space as well? All right, a couple questions are all at once, which is good. So first of all, I'm smiling because you said um, it sort of surprises me that HR pros might need help with it, right? Because you would assume they'd be good at it. This is exactly the stuff I'm talking about, all of us unlearning. So hiring is one skill, but job searching is a totally different skill. So just because HR leaders might be looking at resumes from the lens of a hiring manager, doesn't mean they're gonna be amazing at doing their own. And you know, you think of a basketball star, think of Michael Jordan, like he has no shame in getting help where he needed it at the top of his game. So again, any HR or recruiting professional who wants to hire a resume editor who is feeling lost about that, Zero shame. I think actually it's really important to do, and it's hard to look at your own resume through a really critical lens. So um, I'm also very supportive of investing in that. Matt is asking here for those listening on the podcast, what does Laura look for in a sound resume? It's a general question that's hard to answer right now, Matt, because I have no context of what the job is, um, what your background is. I would say the best advice is to look at the job that you're interviewing for, interested in, and making sure that your resume directly reflects what that hiring manager is looking for. So I, I have here, it's my empathy hat that was given to me by a client of mine. <laughs> yes. And so nice. I always say, put your empathy hat on, right? So have empathy for the hiring manager in the mm -hmm. sense of understanding what they are looking for from you, and usually then you'll know how to edit your resume. But if you need professional help, there's plenty of resume writers and editors, and you know Joel and I will make sure we put together a resource for, um, you know, I, I help HR and recruiting professionals, but there are so many out there for accounting professionals, for tech professionals, 
Um, so it may be worth an investment there. And and Matt, I believe, is actually a resume writing professional as well. Oh, um, cool. Which, like I said, I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there that that are helping. My 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 thought with that, or one question that, that I would have is because there are so many coaches out out there. Like, what advice do you have for people in terms of like finding that right coach, or like how do you seek out the kind of the I don't want to say like the pandemic breed of coach because that's not the right way to put it, but how do you how do you suss out like who the real people are or the real yeah. coaches? You know, you and I were talking about this right before the call, weren't we, about like values-based choices versus just kind of like getting sold something. Like, I think we have to look at this as human beings. Like, we're all susceptible to a good sales pitch, right? Even the most confident of us can walk in a store and leave with something and be like, oh, why did I just buy that? That guy just totally sold me something I didn't need or want, right? And the same is true of coaches and resume writers and recruiters and anything else. It's a business. And so... There are people that are going to potentially sell you something you don't need or want. So I think it's really important to know what you need and want, to be really clear on what you'd like to spend, what you want to invest in, and then do your research. Talk to a few different people and be really comfortable before you say yes. So I give the same advice to HR leaders who are reaching out to a few different external recruiting firms when they're like, uh, I don't know how we're going to choose one or, or maybe they just make a choice and then really regret it. And they'll say, I don't know why we went with that agency. Like, well, before you make that choice, like really do your due diligence around what you need, what you want, what type of partnership you're looking for, what type of service you're looking for. Do your values align? Do your goals align? Does your mission align? You know, and really I call it values. I mean, we all call it values based decision making. And I think that goes for any money you're going to spend, any investment you're going to make on yourself. Um, yeah, I wouldn't rush into something. I, for example, I talked to someone the other day who paid $1,000 to have their resume rewritten, and I looked at it, and I cringed because it looked like it was written in 1997. And I thought, I don't, I mean, it's your money to spend, like go nuts. If you want to spend a thousand bucks, great. But I bet you really want to make sure that thousand bucks is going to give you an ROI, is going to really make you feel good. So, you know, how did they end up there? They, they rushed. And when I asked them, they said they just chose the first person they talked to and they were in a rush and they panicked and they didn't really think it through. So I would say, slow it down. Um, I just did a YouTube video called, you know, slow down to speed up, like slow it down, get a strategy in place. And don't just throw your money around without thinking it through. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great advice. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I wanted to take a moment to introduce my sponsor, Hoxo Media are the world's leading content marketing agency for the recruitment industry. They're currently working with over 250 recruitment agencies that includes 3,000 recruitment consultants across the world. They help them build LinkedIn brands that open up more opportunities by following a proven methodology daily. In 2021, the hugely successful Huxo Academy is changing. They have launched an eight-week personal brand program, which you can roll out across your whole business. The Academy is aimed at helping traditional recruiters that rely on outbound calls to attract candidates and clients. Those who often lack the knowledge of how to use LinkedIn for anything other than posting jobs and in-mails. They struggle with both the ideas and the confidence when it comes to producing relevant content. Post-COVID-19, we all know that the world is truly digital. The modern recruiter needs to have a unique and consistent LinkedIn presence 
that offers value to their community and drives opportunities inbound. The Huxo Academy helps every recruiter in your agency achieve this in eight weeks, enrolling a new cohort of training at the start of each calendar month. For the first 50 customers of 2021, they are offering you the chance to enroll unlimited users onto the program for 12 months at no extra cost. So you have 50 or 500 consultants now, or you plan to hire more throughout the year, you can rest assured that they will get all the training they need to build a brand that wins business on LinkedIn. Please click the link attached to this episode or DM me on LinkedIn to find out how your agency can join the program. If you've been in this academy, please add in some information about your experience. We'd love to hear from you and why you chose to partner with us as you truly believe in the impact it can have in the way that modern recruiters work. You know, one of the things I've noticed too is there's so many different approaches. And so it's like really finding that person that you really resonate with as well. And I love that, like doing your homework, taking the time with that. Kind of, I know we've kind of gone back and forth here and I just wanted to address that question, but kind of getting back to to the content, I'm curious to hear how, obviously you've got a a big personal brand, right? I mean, you've got 90,000 followers, which is really impressive and that shows consistency. It shows that you bring a lot of value and I know, you know, it's, it's tough to build a following um, and especially over time, but how has that impacted your business? And particularly in terms of, obviously you mentioned in a pandemic, things slow down a little bit business-wise. How influential do you think having that brand, that personal brand has been just in the growth of your business and kind of maintaining business? Yeah, I mean, I think every recruiter has a different approach. And so, you know, anyone listening to this, I would say whatever's working for me doesn't mean it's automatically gonna work for you, but I'm happy to share my story. Yeah. You know, I, I promised myself when I launched my business eight years ago that I would never make a cold call because I don't like receiving cold calls and I've never met an HR leader who likes receiving cold calls. So I knew I would have to find a different way to make sure people knew about my business because you still need to make sure they know where to find you. Right. And so I thought, okay, if I'm not going to cold call, what else can I do to stay visible for them to find me without it being pushy and aggressive? Cause that's not what I wanted to be. And I found that social media was a really wonderful way for me to build a community, to share my expertise, to build kind of a psychologically safe space where we all feel we can trust each other. There's like that I'm consistent with who I am there and with who I am when we talk one-on-one and that ideally they find me when they're ready to hire. And that's exactly what's happened. So when someone is hiring and they need a search firm, now they email me and say, Hey, I found you on LinkedIn or I've been following you on LinkedIn for years, or we connected on LinkedIn a few years ago. And so the ROI is that basically they, they come to you when they're ready. So for me, that's a much better approach than me hunting them down when, <laughs> um, and I just did that in quotes for those listening, but, but that's the language used in recruiting. Um, I didn't want that approach, right? I wanted to feel like they knew where to find me. And so I think LinkedIn has allowed that to be, you know, as long as my email's listed, my website's listed, my, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm no stranger to connection. So I welcome them to contact me. And for HR leaders, which again is my marketplace, they like that approach. They don't like it to feel like I'm coming in aggressively and, and I prefer it. So it's worked really well for, for me and my market. How, I, I guess, obviously you're from the agency world. So you've been in the, those environments where it is like the cold call machine and just outbound, really outbound heavy, which obviously works. Otherwise people wouldn't do it. But how different is it for you? Do you find like in terms of like long-term relationships, 
and just really developing like a quality client relationship, how different is it when people are coming to you wanting to work with you as opposed to like back in the day when you were just like hunting yeah. them down and, and kind of, hey, work with me, work with me. Like what's what's the difference there and how, I guess if you were to, to make that comparison. Thinking. Yeah, I love that you're even thinking about it that way. You know, I describe it as the difference between transactional recruiting and strategic recruiting. And so transactional recruiting is based on closing deals. It's like a job is open, I fill the job, I get paid, I move on. And as you say, there's a market for that. That's fine. There's plenty of those. There's plenty of clients who want that, who prefer that. Um, and I don't view it as good or bad. That's a different style. So my style has always been strategic, which is relationship-focused, long-term thinking, creative, innovative, customized, boutique, right? All those concepts, I'd rather work that way. And that way doesn't start with a cold sale. That comes from the beginning of a trusting relationship. And then you and the client have built this, this dynamic where you're going into the search saying, okay, let's create a strategy. Let's come up with a plan. I'm going to send you data. We're going to be going through this together. I'm going to train you on bias and employer branding and, and, and you know, all of it. We're going to go through a behavioral competency guide. We're going to build it. And I've had clients say to me, wow, you offer too much. I just want you to send resumes and fill this job. <laughs> and then they say, cool. And there's tons of other recruiting firms who will just do that transaction for you. So, so I find my style, you're absolutely right. And I've never really thought of it this way. And thank you for, for the knowledge there. The way you start the relationship actually dictates how it's going to go. So you're yeah. absolutely right. If you start with a cold call and you get that deal done, great. You've just you've just closed a transactional deal. But if you start with, with, with exactly right, with content, with relationships, with trust, then when you actually partner together, you're already coming in from such a different lens. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And I want to just get to a couple of these comments. I know Kevin said great chat. I don't know if you've interacted with – Kevin at all on Clubhouse, but he's all over there, and uh, he's a great, great. guy. Uh, and then we've, we've we've got Godwin um, in South Africa, so we are going international. So great to see you out there. Um, and then Simon here, he asked an interesting question, which I think is super relevant. He just says, "What percentage of time do you spend on engagement on other people's content versus creating your own?" I have my own take on this, but I'm curious, Laura, what's your take on that? And what's your approach to like engaging yeah. on other people's content? Simon, I love the question because there's a million ways to answer it, but the, I'll just go with the very first thought that crossed my mind, which is it depends on my kind of energy level and output. And, and again, I'm answering this from the lens of we're in a pandemic and we're almost at that year mark of total pandemic fatigue. So there are days or times of the day when I don't want to create content. My brain isn't in that zone, right? And I give myself the grace to say, okay, today I'm not the innovator. Today I'm going to just like, share, comment on something else that I see. The same with Clubhouse. Joel and I have both talked about this. It's fun to host rooms. And it's also fun sometimes just to slide in and listen. And, and that's okay. So I, I think when I hear that question, the first thought that comes to my mind is grace for ourselves and for each other that we are not, you know, circus performers that can always be on. And so if there are certain days you don't have the energy to do it, you don't have to. And some days I feel like posting 17 times and that's fine too. So um, I go off of my own energy level. I don't put pressure on myself if I'm not in the zone of, of creation. And I think a lot of times that question comes from the point of view of, Maybe I'm struggling on my own engagement. So if I engage with other people, will that help 
with like my own engagement. And I, I think the approach for me with engagement that I've learned is you can definitely tr- have that target. Of, hey, I'm going to comment on a hundred other people's posts, right? You could strategically do that and then get people to go to your LinkedIn page and then, then they'll maybe read your bio, they'll see something and then you're kind of treating it like a, a landing page. So I know that th- there's those ideologies out there, but I think in reality, when I look at engagement and what I've seen work really well with engagement is the more intentional you are with your comment yeah. or the more intentional you are with your engagement, the more effective it is. And so there's these hacks out there, which will say, Hey, do this amount of engagement and create a system. And I think that can be, again, it's like with a content schedule, like if that's how you're starting and that's how you're keeping accountable with the activity. Okay. But eventually just like cold calling or just like emailing, you have to realize that you're trying to connect with a person. And so you've got to like, those systems can be good to like, you know, whatever, get you into the habit. But at the end of the day, people can, I can spot, you know, if I've got whatever hundred comments on there and the five that are just like great post, great post, great post. Cool. I'm not, I'm not focusing on that, but if someone reads it and they leave a paragraph long, like statement or question, number one, I'm inclined to want to read it and come up with a response myself. Um, But it just, it just shows like, okay, you actually consume the content. And I think the intentionality pieces is huge. And it looks like Simon said, I hear you and agree, which was to, towards you, not me on that yeah, one. Yeah, no, I think we've hit on a lot there. Yeah, I think it's grace for your own energy level and your own ability. I think what Joel's getting at here, which is so smart, is like, you know, if you want to just be known as the guy that's always like, cool post, agree, interested, like, boom, that's your brand, right? Yeah, exactly. The first thing I thought of when you were talking is, is last year, this I posted a completely benign post about literally how HR professionals need to rest and and take breaks. And then I guess like the following week I had posted saying I was hearing from so many job seekers telling me that they were emailing people just to just to get advice, just to vent, just to have someone hear them, and they weren't hearing back from fellow HR pros. And I thought, this is such a bummer. Like So I just posted, you know, like if you're getting an email from someone that's in need, that wants to vent, that wants to talk, that wants advice, see if you can make 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It's really making a difference to people. And so this woman wrote back in the comments this long paragraph, which is what made me think of you. It was edited. She took her time with it. But it was really nasty about me saying, like, you gave these two conflicting opinions that we should be self-caring and making time for others and we're burning out and we can't reply to everybody Jeez. else. And, and anyway, it was a really wild rant. And, and I, and I heard what she was saying, which is if you are burning out, you may not have energy to speak to someone else. However, since she had no other posts on LinkedIn that year, except for this one, I thought to your point, like, You've had no other consistent posting for me to say, oh, this was just a hard day for you. You're coming out of the gate hard, but really every other post you've been kind or you've been thoughtful or you've been loving or you've been informative. Like there were no other words I could use to describe her personal brand except for this one. And I thought like, that's what we're talking. When we talk about consistency, it's like, okay, out of 10 posts, you know, are nine consistent. You're allowed to have one that might've been a little snarky or a little feisty, like we're humans, but if you only post one time the whole year and that post is, is rough, that's what we now think of you as. And and I thought, wow, that's that is probably the biggest example I can think of about consistency. Yeah. No, that that's huge. And I, I think 
I mean, I've, I've had that before as well, where, you know, people kind of take one post out of context or they're not looking at, at the overall view as well. And uh, I mean, it's a great point. And I think that's where, to, to me, like that's where consistency, but then also getting to know people in the real world is important. And I think, you know, a lot of times, particularly for job seekers, obviously, I, th I think a lot of that mentality comes from it's your job to get a job, which means you got to put as much activity out there, which is it can be true, but it's intentionality is 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 what I feel like is the most most valuable thing in networking in general. And uh, Tom just yeah, said he just yeah. said I enjoy more I enjoy engaging more than creating, which I think it's is awesome. Totally and then fine. great advice. What am I hearing is be present and actually truly engage, not just yeah. exactly exactly. But here's the thing with that. So okay, so Simon just said I'm you know I'm hearing truly engage, not just do it for the numbers, like. This is a crazy thought, but I'll just say it as we were just talking about earlier. There are different types of recruiters. So you can totally be the guy, and I'm not suggesting Simon, this is you. I'm just saying, generally speaking, you could be the guy who's like, I am just out here to headhunt candidates to get new clients, and that's it. So I'm going to just bang out invitations and just like all the people's stuff that I'm trying to get in with and do it from a strategy. Again, that could be considered intentional. Your intention is just strict ROI. It is like strict number crunching stuff. That's totally available to you and it's happening all the time, right? What Joel and I are trying to see, and I think we're aligned on this, is we're trying to see a movement towards a human approach of sales and marketing, of connection, of recruiting, where it's like, yeah, of course, ultimately, we all hope we're going to fill more jobs, get more clients. We're all running a business. We live in a capitalist society. We're not, we're not, uh, acknowledge, you know, denying that, but acknowledging that we can, we can still make money and build actual relationships at the same time. Yeah. It's kind of freeing. And frankly, not enough people are doing it. To, to me, the big thing that I see, I see in our industry in just in general is like, it's really short term thinking. And I think, what it's kind of created is at least from what I've seen is you have the people who have been doing what they've been doing for 20 years, 25 years. And you know what? They are doing amazing things and they've put their kids through colleges. They've, they've, you know, made millions and millions of dollars. Awesome. Right. That's super cool. And I love that. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep those relationships building. I'm all for that. But then you have like younger people enter, entering into recruitment and, I think there's this whole mentality of like sink or swim within our industry where it's like pick up the phone and make it happen. And I think now though, like the mentality for a lot of younger people in the workforce is kind of want more than that. And maybe like what's the overall vision for the business or maybe I have a skill set or maybe I'm, I'm a quote unquote introvert and, but I love engineering and I want to help people. And I think we've got to create like room for people like that and not just say, Okay, you don't have this skill set, so you're not a recruiter. And I think what can happen is a lot of times is because there's such an emphasis on short-term results, and you know you, you come into it and you're just commission only, and you've got to produce in six months. I just think you lose a lot of really talented people. And I think now it's like okay, there's actually other skill sets which could be used well. And uh, so yeah, it's kind of kind of uh, upon the same. The same thing. That. And you know what, Joel, I find the same challenge with internal recruiters. And and I think that's sort of what, what I was talking to you about earlier is that sometimes in our world, we have agency versus internal. It's kind of this us versus them mentality, which I really want to dismantle because we're all one. We're all recruiting professionals with an expertise in recruiting. We need to have that sort of 
value and self-worth that we've been talking about for 30 years, like we're there, we have a value in the organization, whether we're internal or external, but even internal recruiters can be set up for burnout, which I know we're going to talk about in a second. I see Tom's question. Like some internal recruiters have 30 requisitions on their plate. They have 10 candidates per search. So they now have 300 people they're talking to every week that requires their attention. They are spinning, they are crying, they are exhausted. And what are we doing to help them? We either you know, replace them because head of HR is like, I don't know what's going on over there, but they're not confident. Or we just call it out to headhunters and search, which yes, that's my business, but still it's not always the answer. You know, there's this kind of nuance around what are we doing to actually elevate each other as a profession instead of just like kind of this endless berating? It doesn't really work. So yeah, let's get to Tom's, Tom's comment. I just love this. Yeah. Yeah. So Tom says that can be a recipe for burnout. Great way to ramp up a recruitment desk. But if you're looking to play the long game, I believe you have to shift to being a partner and not a resume peddler. Um, so I, I love that. What's, what are your thoughts with like this partner shit? We, we've, we've kind of touched upon it, but where, where do you, where do you, I mean, I gave my opinion on where I think that comes from just like kind of KPIs and short-term views, but where do you, where do you think that that comes from or what's yeah. been your experience with that? So, I think it comes from lack of self-worth. I think it comes from insecurity. I think it comes from years of having the industry berated. It's sort of like being bullied. You know, after a while, you start to believe what the bully tells you. And I think we're dismantling that now and unlearning that now. And so there's a lot to, you know, we talk about branding. I think we're changing the brand of what recruiting is. And, you know, look at who you've had on here. Like Greg Savage is a great example of someone. He's like, He's an exceptional human being and he's a recruiting expert. And so, you know, I don't know. I take pride in recruitment. And I think the more we all do that, what we do is powerful. My friend Jeffrey calls it noble work. The more we yeah. think of it that way, the more we are happy to be a partner. When I coach recruiting, recruiting professionals, the reason they're not partners and they are resume peddlers, as, Tom, as Thomas said, is usually from a place of insecurity that they're afraid to push back, they're afraid to counsel or advise, because often we have to give really difficult feedback to that hiring manager, and we have to tell them where they're being biased, and where they're being potentially racist, and where they're being potentially agents, and we have to, we have some tough combos we have to have in there. And if you're not confident yourself about why you're the expert in that room and why you're helping move the organization forward, we can't do it. And so I think whether you're internal or external, if, that, if you're coming from a place of I'm lowly, I'm serving them, they're above me, I am, you know, I'm not a I'm not an equal, I'm not a partner, I'm I'm in service to them. You never really get to that partnership. So we have to kind of work on some of the um the self-worth is I'll have you link for them after this too. I sent you Bamboo HR had me speak last year at their HR conference on the power of self-worth in HR. And it's a free 20 minute session I did. They just re-released it. So maybe you can add the link to the comments. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just Would something love I'd love to see. The kind of more genuine confidence, not ego, but like a genuine place of worth. Well, and Greg, when when he was on the interview, one of the things that he mentioned was like this idea, which is, a, it's the same concept. It's becoming a consultant and like an actual value mm-hmm. add to a business. So, mm-hmm. you know, a good recruiter can go in and actually look at the business needs and not just um, like the, the need for just a role to be filled. And so I think if you're able in a call, for example, with a client to add like even different options or explain like why a specific type of candidate might be a better fit, 
the more educated you are and, and the more of a actual value add you are, uh, the more you become a partner and yeah. um, you get away. But I, I think a lot of times too, it's as like recruitment firms, you got to help your people to become that as well and incentivize more and like, hey, we want to help you become a consultant and we're not just going to focus on resumes to interviews to, to placements, but yeah. what are the other values that we're adding? And I think mm -hmm. we're seeing that more and more. And I think I do think that social media can help with that. Uh, but obviously, you know, Greg put it really well. He's like, you, if you have a big brand online, but you don't execute, you don't really have much. So it's, you know, I think it's the great recruiters out there. You know, I always kind of call out, like, if you're a great recruiter, putting out content, for example, can help reinforce that because you help to get in front of your prospects and your candidates in a, in a different way. And you're providing value that maybe others aren't. So I, I love that. Um, well, Greg always talks about let's not race each other to the bottom. Like, don't don't work at the yeah, lowest fees and the exactly. lowest terms, right? And I find that so interesting. Like, a lot of recruiters want to be these consultative partners, but then they charge like fair minimum fees. And I'm always telling them, charge top dollar. We all rise as an industry when we start standing on our worth. And so that's the consistency too. If you're if you're the best customized boutique search firm you better be charging as much as you can because you're offering a different level of quality and service. Yeah, it's like you don't go to the you don't go to the dealership and wanna wanna buy a Mercedes and pay four prices. The first thing you go on is well, why it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. So I love exactly. that. Yeah. So true. Well yeah. I know we're up to about 45 minutes here. I usually like to keep the show around around this time. One of one of the um, one of the ways I like to just end the show is and I've been doing it more recently is you know, for anyone who's just starting in the industry, right? We're in a kind of in a unique time. There's a lot of shifts. You got work from home. Maybe you're feeling like you haven't got the training or the mentorship. What what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out as a full desk recruit recruiter and you know, in this really, you know, kind of weird time with work from home and everything going on? Like what advice would you have for someone who's in that situation? What would you want them to leave with? Well, immediately get on social media. So LinkedIn being number one. And then I would say choose two or three others. So I'm on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Clubhouse. I'm not on Facebook, but of course, there's a big recruiting community there. So I pick two or three places that you want to focus your time, meet each other, DM, set up calls, set up Zoom, and learn from each other. We historically didn't have a great community of sharing knowledge. When I started in recruiting 15 plus years ago, no one talked to me about their fees, their process, their terms. Now we share contracts, we brainstorm because we are all better by lifting each other. So first things first is yeah. gain a community, nurture a community, and and recognize that this is a skill. It's like learning soccer. It's like learning how to drive a Ferrari. It's like learning how to be a lawyer, really. It's a skill. And so soak up as much information and don't be ashamed to ask questions of those of us who've been doing it a little bit longer where... I'm honored when someone wants to message me with a, with a question or need to brainstorm. That's how I learn and continue to learn today. For as far as like reaching out to you, because I know you've got a lot of followers on LinkedIn and you've got a big community on Twitter as well. Like what what advice do you have for people for reaching out to you? Like what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, so I will do my best to try and reply to everyone. Um, if that is important to me, but really any of those places is fine. I think it's personal preference. So yeah, I'm happy to talk to LinkedIn messages, Twitter DMs, Instagram DMs. I got a couple great questions last night on Instagram, YouTube comments. Um, email, of course, is easy, laura at eastsidestaffing.com. Just don't be shy. Just start somewhere. Anything is fine. I And I would say too, like if you're on Clubhouse 
follow Laura on Clubhouse because she's going to be in rooms and going to be sharing lots of, lots of advice. But also just go check out her YouTube video as well because I think so often, like, just take the content that people are putting out and and use use that and, you know, be sensitive of people's time as well because I know Laura's running a business. She's running, like, a million social channels. Uh, so I'm I'm super appreciative that we got to connect and it's been really cool having you on on the show. Um, I appreciate all the advice that you've given. And again, I just, anyone who's out there, definitely follow on LinkedIn. And if you have specific questions, just be respectful and um, appreciate it. Any, uh, any final thoughts here or anything that you want to leave everybody with? I'll let you close it out. Um, yeah, thank you, Joel. And I appreciate that, that acknowledgement of my time. I actually did a YouTube video called Introductory Notes, where I talk about yeah. not expecting people to reply to your introductory notes. You can take a look at that. I would yeah. say just just keep doing great work. You know, if you don't love recruiting, you can always get out. We need more people in this profession who really love it and feel called to do it. And we can change the world of work by doing it together. So let's just keep the community going. I love it. Laura, a pleasure. And everyone who's listening to this afterwards as well, we are going to be live again next Monday with, with another guest. I'll make that announcement on Friday. And appreciate everybody who's out there. I know we had Tom, Simon, uh, Godwin, Kevin, Matt. Great to see all of you. And uh, if you have any other questions and you want to DM me, feel free to do that. I know all of you. So I uh, appreciate Laura. And we will we'll talk soon, probably on Clubhouse, I'm guessing. See you soon. Thanks, everyone. Yep. Take care.